Blog Talk Radio. of Eastern Airlines. You've come to the right place if you're part of the Eastern family and friends, or if you're under 40 and haven't heard of this legendary airline, we'd like to tell you about Eastern Airlines. Folks from all over the world listen to our Eastern Airlines radio show now on the air for over nine years. Thanks for the cyber radio. We have identified over 50 countries in nearly every continent. So here we are again talking about our favorite way to fly, Eastern Airlines. We can truly say we are the radio voice of Eastern. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and along with hosts from many different areas in the U.S., we say welcome to our Eastern world. Chuck Albright's our announcer, and we'll introduce you to the rest of the gang or the host. Now let's get the show in the air. Chuck it's all yours. Well, thank you very much. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, and information. As he said, my name's Chuck Albright. I'm coming to you live from the Villages, Florida. Our producer, Captain Neal, is in St. Augustine, and our co-hosts are scattered all over the country. Jim and Carrie Holder live in the Atlanta area. Mike Scott in the New York area out on Long Island. Colin DeFleece and Wesley is at Wesley Chapel, Florida, north of Tampa. And Don and Dorothy Gagnon is in the village just north of me. Mark Parter is in the Miami area. And George Jen is listening in with us tonight. Our producer, if you see any of our regulars, please let me know. From all our hosts, welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show for over the past nine years plus. You've truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. We'd love to hear your comments, share our, our memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611. Just say hello. Talk to us on the air. We're live every Monday evening. Many of our listeners choose to listen by the computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. 
Now, remember to abbreviate the word CAPTAIN to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let me repeat that number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. By the way, tell your friends about us, 213-816-1611. Our membership is growing. We're now at 1,040 Eastern family and friends. Don't forget, you can listen to any one of our 454 Monday night broadcasts and 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, that's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. We're nearly at 600 episodes now, and all because of listeners like you wanting to talk about Eastern Airlines. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises, such as barking dogs and slamming doors and ice cubes and your favorite beverage, ringing phones, and that's why he puts the mute feature on your phone. And now I see you're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight 457 in the air. Eastern 457. Wind 10024, runway 13 right, cliff takeoff. Roger, 457. Fly Eastern Airlines. Like, 
How do you suppose we can fly this thing? We didn't include a seat. Look, we spent way too much time as getting this project off the ground. I'll fly it laying down. Besides, it will add more weight, and that's what we don't need is more weight. Yeah, we can always take one of our extra bicycle seats and add it later. That wouldn't add much extra weight. Yeah, who knows? This flying thing might catch on. Some people might want to go somewhere in the future. Then we'll just have to provide them with a comfortable seat. Who knows what this can lead to, though, maybe even serving food. We, and if so, we sure got to have some skinny waitresses. Dama <laughs> <laughs> can't hear you. <laughs> Tabletop radio. During Captain Eddie's lifetime, he had many often quoted opinions. He had one for our topic tonight. I don't care what you cover the seats with as long as you cover them with butts. Another word was used. That was from Captain Rickenbacker, CEO of Eastern Airlines, to the designers proudly showing off the seat cover designs for the first turboprop airline to be operated in the U.S., the Lockheed Electra. Yes, folks, we're talking about seats, airplane seats tonight. Don, are you with us? Uh, yeah, I just got back on, Neil. I'm sorry about that. No problem. Uh, where were you? Uh, yeah, folks, um, historically, the comfort of the seats in relation to the duration of the flights are in inverse proportions. In other words, early seats, say on the tri-motor of the late 1920s, were rudimentary with passenger service being something of an afterthought compared to mail and express. But a flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles could take up to three and a half hours, not to mention the high probability of considerable turbulence and not to mention uh, physical upset with the unlimited ceiling. Compa- compare that to today's flight uh, on the same route, which is about 55 minutes, with relatively comfortable seats, even in economy, and certainly in business and first class. You can see the trend in each succession of the seat design as comfort became comp- a competitive element. This began in World War, pre-World War II, but really ramped up in post-war with much more intensive study and design work going into seating. Seating evolved from scaled-down porch furniture at a cost of less than $100 a unit to sophisticated reclining sleeping machines that could approach around $200,000 a piece. The airline seat has long gone from most of the uh, rudimentary construction materials and functions to space-age sophistication with the current array of electronics, controls, and personal amenities. Uh, Colleen, uh, can you tell us about the early airplane seats? Sure, Don. Of the earliest three, two of Wicker and the one Bentwood Boeing, have a general appearance one could call quaint. The wicker connotes simpler times. The Boeing seat, though, is actually highly finished, as the bentwood joinery is laborious and very well executed, and the nickel-chrome hardware is fairly advanced. 
The Alcoa seat has a wonderful machine age look. The tubing and corner braces evoke the aluminum framework of an airship. With the DC-3 seat, the aluminum frame is hidden and the sides are covered with a synthetic panel whose shell-like patterns hint of Art Deco. The Constellation seat is all about foam cushioning as the overstuffed chair has now been introduced to air travel, along with some modest integrated functions and controls, including built-in armrest ashtrays and recline toggles. The base top and sides of the seat and back upholstery complement the armrest coverings and sides while setting off the gold fabric insert. These colors were part of an integrated cabin interior design in which even the cabin crew uniforms, such as Ola Cassini's fashions for TWA air hostesses, were coordinated. Aesthetics and color psychology became increasingly important design elements. By the time we get to the wide-body jet age, cool navy-colored leather coverings and contrasting blue pattern fabrics are appearing. Blue is known to cause the body to produce calming chemicals and is associated with the emotions of loyalty. In the 1993 Weber first class uh, seat, form closely follows function and other than its color as a mood modulator. Its aesthetic appeal is more closely tied to tactile stimuli. The array of controls and personal electronics puts the passenger in a seat that functions as a mechanical exoskeleton, physically adjusting your position for you while serving as a bedroom, dining room, office, and entertainment center, all rolled into one. No longer static furniture, the airline passenger seat has become a system designed to anticipate a nearly limitless range of human factors and cultural needs. Jerry, that makes me want to go out and buy an airline ticket just to enjoy the seat. How about telling us more? Yes, Colleen, it sure sounds like the seat will be the greatest experience of flying in the future. But back to reality. An airline seat is a seat on an airliner in which passengers are accommodated for the duration of the journey. Such seats are usually arranged in rows running across the airplane's fuselage. A diagram of such seats in an aircraft is called an aircraft seat map. December the 7th, 1903, Orville Wright had no seat problems because he had no seat, at least an upright seat. Lying down in a prone position, he flew the first powered flight in history. The way seats were being designed now, we may go back to that comfortable position again. Seats are frequently equipped with further amenities. Airline seats may be equipped with a reclining mechanism for increased passenger comfort, either reclining mechanically, usually in economy class and short haul first and business class, or electrically, usually in long haul first class and business class. Most aircraft also feature trays for eating and reading, either in the seat back, which folds down to form a small table in most economy seat class seats, or inside the armrest, which folds out in most first class, business class, bulkhead, and exit row seats. Most airline seats are also feature a pocket, which may contain an in-flight magazine and safety instructions. From what I understand, all sorts of things have been found in the seat pockets like um, used baby diapers, candy wrappers, burp bags, salt teeth, and hundreds of other items. Dorothy, what do you have for us? 
well carry on small and short haul aircraft or on low cost carriers, some of these amenities may not be installed. For instance, on several aircraft, Ryanair has installed non-reclining seats without seat pockets with the safety material stitched to the seat back instead. Even on airlines with reclining seats, some seats may have a restricted recline or no recline. Typically, this will be the rear row of the cabin where a rear bulkhead blocks the recline or seats immediately in front of the emergency exit where a reclined seat might restrict access to the emergency exit. Creating a potential safety hazard. Independent seat reviews, such as Seat Guru, often warn passengers against these seats. During takeoff and landing, the crew asks passengers to put their seats in an upright, unreclined position and to lift and stow their tray tables. Don, would you finish this, please? Uh, I lost my place here. <laughs> Seats may be equipped with power ports, either M-Power, AC, DC, or USB power-only sockets for small electrical appliances and ports for headphones for the audio entertainment and uh, entertainment. Most full-service airlines also include personal video screens as part of the in-flight entertainment system on long-haul aircraft. But some aircraft use a bring-your-own-device system where passengers use their own devices. The screens are often touch screens or can be controlled by remote handsets. In economy and premium economy, the screen is normally in a seat back, but in a front row seat or premium cabin, they may be need, needed to be pulled out from a special compartment after takeoff and then return there for landing. Chuck, the back is where the comfort takes place. Tell us about those features. Well, thanks, Neil. Most long-haul aircraft and short-haul aircraft on some airlines, feature seats with adjustable headrests in all classes, allowing the passenger to adjust the headrest for comfort. Electrically adjustable lumbar support is found on most long-haul first-class and business-class seats. Rarely, economy class may also include mechanically adjusted lumbar support on some long-haul aircraft. However, with the trend towards slimline seats and economy class, this amenity has almost vanished from most economy class seats installations. Some business class seats, such as the Rocco, Ricardo CL4420, have a built-in massage feature. I like that one. Some business class cabins feature seats that recline to a sloped flat position. Seat they brought back Orville's favorite way to fly. Those fly those flat at an angle seats allow for greater comfort than the traditional, traditional recline, recline seats, but are less comfortable than the full horizontal flatbed seats. Most international first class and a growing number of inter international business class cabins feature seats 
which climbed to a full horizontal flat position, forming a bed. Hard for that kid behind you to do any of the kicking in the relaxed position. Jim, can you tell us about that slimline seat? Yeah, Chuck. Uh, some airlines are introducing new slimline seats in economy class. While a, quote, slimline, end quote, is not a defined term, slimline seats have less padding in the back. Seat pitch and width in economy classes have also been decreasing. In 1985, none of the main four U.S. carriers offered a seat less than 19 inches wide. Since the beginning of the 21st century until 2018, average seat width decreased from 18 and a half inches to 17 inches, and sometimes as low as 16.1 inches. Slim size, slim line seats weigh less than full size seats and are claimed to allow airlines to increase capacity without significantly affecting passenger comfort. Many passengers, many passengers, however, have expressed displeasure with these seats. Moreover, the U.S. Department of Transportation, sometimes known as the DOT, has begun to explore the safety issues associated with increased aircraft capacity and the reduced seat pitch that resulted from the installation of slimline seats again. And in an April 14th, 2015 hearing on the DOT's Advisory Committee for Aviation Commuter Protection, Cynthia Corbett, an investigator for the Federal Aviation Administration Civil Aerospace Medical Institute found important, discussed concerns regarding the emergency evacuation of high-capacity aircraft. The citizens group quote, flyers right, end quote, bought a case against the FAA in 2017, arguing that the agency had a responsibility to prevent seats from becoming so cramped as to become a safety issue in an emergency. Well, there goes the dying change right out the window again. This type of seat was pioneered by a company called Riocardo, but several other manufacturers, such as Weber Aircraft and BE Aerospace, have introduced their own slim size seats as well. These seats may or may not feature movable headrests and generally do not feature adjustable lumbar supports. A newer innovation by Zodiac Seats U.S., formerly known as Weber Aircraft LLC, is an articulating seat bottoms where the listen closely where the seat bottom moves forward in addition to the seat back tilting backwards. Such seats have been installed on some of the aircraft of Erlingus, Delta Airlines, Immigrants, American Airlines, and Avianca, amongst others. This seating was eventually adopted by competitors such as DE Aerospace and again Ricardo. Mercy. Yeah, Jim. How about some of those rear-facing airplane seats? They could be the future of air travel as airline seat to make flying safer from the post-pandemic world. Avio Interiors is shifting away from its densely focused seats products and designing a new seat types which add on ideal for social distancing. One seat type offers rear-facing middle seats with barriers each side, while the other offers a head-level dividers to curb spread of, the spread of germs. 
Both seat types allow for the airlines to maintain a portion, if not all, of its current capacity levels on the aircraft without taking revenue negative measures such as blocking the middle seats. The novel of coronavirus pandemic has has soured the customer's confidence in travel for countless reasons, whether it be the fear of the second wave being stranded in another country, air travel in particular, has suffered in part because of the fears associated with flying on an airplane with potentially hundreds of other strangers. Despite the new cleaning procedures being implemented by the airlines, the countless ways that passengers can na- navigate through a busy airport terminal or terminals and tips from doctors on how to stay healthy when flying, the airline ist- industry experts are, are still predicting that the demand for the travel will rebound for years to come, and some passengers boarding flights are outraged when they find that the flight is full. One Italian company is envisioning a way to forward the, for the, uh, forward for the airlines by creating social distancing-friendly options for economy class. I wonder how they're doing with first class there. Uh, known for its standing seat product, the uh, Aventurier's is shifting away from designing projects that aim to fit as many seats into one aircraft as possible and now is trying to separate passengers as much as possible while maintaining revenue-friendly capacity seats. Colleen? So while the Italian aircraft seat designer was once imagining unique ways of fitting as many passengers as possible in an aircraft, including through the use of standing seats. It's now focusing on how to achieve social distancing as airlines prepare for the post-pandemic world. One idea envisioned by the firm is to achieve social distancing in the skies is the glass safe seat. The design keeps the current configuration of seats with no blocked seats or physical separations beyond the armrest but it includes a head-level divider. The divider acts as a barrier to personal germs while also allowing airlines to maintain their current configurations while blocking some seat-to-seat germ transmissions. The barriers can also be installed on aircraft seats currently found on airliners for an easy installation process. A similar concept will be introduced by Delta Airlines in the first-class cabins of its Airbus A321neo aircraft, though the intention is to provide more privacy and not protect from germs. Carrie? Colleen, another obvio interior idea to achieve airborne social distancing is the Janus seat. Every middle seat is rear-facing in this configuration with barriers surrounding it as to allow for the all three seats to social distance with minimal interruption. Though not ideal when traveling with a companion, the concept offers enhanced distancing compared to the glass-safe seat as well as an additional modicum of privacy. Experts are saying that airlines won't see 2019 levels of air travel for years to come. So these seats may be the way airlines get back to where they were and rebuild trust and confidence in aviation as a mode of transportation. Ladies and gentlemen, it looks like With all these different seat designs, passengers may be choosing the seat and not the airplane for their travel plans. I wonder if someone is designing a 
design planning a rocking chair seat just for the us seniors. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, that's our topic discussion, and we've got some uh, items here that uh, might we might talk about. And I've uh, thought about the the old sanitary head cloth. Uh, Colleen, you probably remember that on the back of the headrest of all the seats on the airplanes. It seems like when I first came in the airline and on the Convair, and I guess all of them had these little cloths like the Greyhound bus uses, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember. I often, I often wondered how many people took away head lice and things <laughs> like that uh-huh. from those little th- little uh, napkins. I guess they were about the size of a napkin. Yeah, I I wasn't a fan of those. Yeah, that keeps the Dixie Peach off the seat. seat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they started off with uh, linen types, and then they got down to paper (laughs) over the years. George, there ought to be a book here written about the airline seat. (laughs) I don't know about that, Neil, but... You know, one thing I've I've often wondered about is, and I could be incorrect here, and if I am, please let me know, but it's my understanding today that in order to save money, hence uh, fuel burn, that the air is recirculated through the cabin two or three times versus like on the 727 and the earlier aircraft, it used to be in and out. Uh, Do do you know if that's the case still? I mean, as far as catching uh, other people's germs and things like that, it would seem to me that that's an important uh, consideration, you know. I know the 757 had a separate research, uh, air research system. The passengers got their air and the front-end crew got their air on air. Do you remember that? I flew the airplane. Yeah, yeah, at least that's what I um, remember in ground school. <laughs> but, uh, well, what uh, in the I, world do they gain by recirculating the air on the airplane? I mean, I can understand what they're doing, but what's the advantage of it? I mean, the air comes in on the packs and it goes out the back, and the fresh air comes yeah. in again. And why would they want to run it recirculate that? Well, I we try spending money on saves, on outflow valve. Yeah, it saves fuel. It saves fuel, Jim. Um, you know, where the bleed air comes off the engine, like on the 7-2, and it goes in and out. But if they if it goes in and then is recirculated and then goes out, there's less bleed air that's used, hence less fuel. Golly, that seems infinitesimal to me. Just, I mean, the one percent or less or something. I don't know. Golly. I don't know. I don't know either. But, you know, nothing, nothing would surprise me at this point in time, you know. I thought I heard that they were uh, some of the airlines now had some of the best systems to re- for recirculating that air. Yes, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I thought. I don't know. That, that seems like a very bad idea. I will point out, if I might, that when I finished pilot training in the Air Force in 1962, I came back to my unit. And we had the supersonic C-119 flying boxcar, which was not supersonic. Let me tell you, I was trained on jets, and now all of a sudden I'm trying to learn carburetor heat and cow flaps. But anyhow, those seats on that thing sat sideways. 
And can you imagine uh-huh. sitting on a piece of canvas with metal underneath it, and you you're sitting sideways, so if anything bad happens, it's going to break your neck one way or the <laughs> yeah. other way or something. It seemed to me it was terrible. But then, then. I, I believe that later, plane was called a flying co- uh, coffin, right? Oh, no. No, that was a B-26. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> the 119 wasn't far behind it, though. But anyhow, we later got to C-121C, which was the 1049 Super Constellation. And all our seats in that, and this was an airline-type airplane, just like Eastern and TWA and everybody else. And the seats faced backwards. And that was yeah. a wonderful, good idea. Because if you didn't worry about in the event of a, something bad happening, you went forward and hit the thing in front of you. You had the seat there to protect you from backwards. From uh, that injury going forward, the seat saved it. And, uh, of course, that was, uh, I mean, that was 1960s technology. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we ought to go back to rear-facing seats. But I thought that was just a wonderful idea, and I never did understand. I know Northwest, I mean, not Northwest, Southwest had a few of their seats at the back of the 737s that did face back. And it just seemed like that was just the way to go. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, so I'll shut up. <laughs> well, the, uh, well you... C-1, uh, the C-135s that I used to work on, which is like the 720 or the 70 uh, at McGuire Air Force Base, all of those uh, particular airplanes, they, the ones that were set up for tra- carrying troops around, that yep. all of the seats all of the seats were F-facing seats. That's right. That was an Air Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was the C-130s. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the purpose of the coach having cloth seats and the first class having plush leather, soft leather right. seat covers? Yeah, the price <laughs> of the seat. <laughs> to make you want to buy a first class seat. There you go. <laughs> they had better whoopee cushions. Yeah. There you go. I remember well, when, the con when, the Convair when I first started flying it, the first airplane I flew with Eastern, um, the the cockpit seats for the crew, it was just a, a slide, you know, like you reach underneath your seat and you pull the lever up like cars without power uh seating, uh, and you slid back in the track on the track. And then uh, the last airplanes, the A300 and the 75 and 1011, had that sophisticated electric seating. So the crew seating has come a long way, too. Yeah, that 1011 went front, back, left, and right, and up and down. Yeah. Electric. Yeah. All the way. Yeah, I love that airplane. Yeah. Until it broke, and then you had to change the seat. (laughs) (laughs) The seats aren't aren't light either. They're heavy. Well, well when, when Captain Trump, Jim Holder Trump, has got a couple of those L-1011 seats, right, Jim? Yeah, I don't know how in the world we got this on the show tonight. But, yes, I used to have a couple of them. And uh, we had that com- commercial aviation museum that was formed in Atlanta. was going to uh, be for the airlines and all that, and it didn't make it. But at one of their grand openings, uh, they had a 1011 first-class seat set. Uh, for a blind auction, and I had too many martinis, and I brought that thing, uh, <laughs> which I had, and I took it to my hangar, and it, it didn't have any brackets or anything, so you couldn't sit in it because it laid over on its back, so I had to build a frame for it, 
and then we could sit in it. And it had a telephone. Remember those telephones? It had a telephone, but we never could get that thing to work. But uh, I've sat in that thing many, many, many times. But I must tell you, it's no longer there because uh, Johnny Steinmetz, Eastern Captain Johnny Steinmetz, the president of Reaper, uh, he heard about that I had it and I wanted to sell it because Carrie and I are always thinking about downsizing, putting everything in the hangar. And we wanted to get it cleaned out a little bit. And he came down there about three months ago and bought that thing. And I think he's got it up at Lake Alatoona in his uh, basement or something on his home up there, you know. He wanted well, to have it. He's got it now. I think that'd be a perfect uh, type of seat to sit on on the front porch way back in the country. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Unless you want to make Oh, they were call. very comfortable. Oh, they were so yeah. comfortable. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You better have a good hacksaw so you can get some of those rails that it sits in. Yeah, but it tilts yeah. back, and I can tell you that was the seat set that went on the left side of first class if you're facing forward, because I saw how the brackets were, the rails and everything, and I cleverly figured out it was a seat A and B. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sticking with that story. All right. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> was there well let's see in the back of the seat you only had the seat so the back of the seat did it have anything in the pocket we searched but we couldn't we couldn't find anything we thought maybe we'd find some money or something back there but no they had there you nothing go. in the back no no full diapers <laughs> no nothing no that's right <laughs> well one of, oh boy you know one of the airlines actually two of them it's uh it's Air China, China Air, and Korea, I believe, got the highest ranking for their seats because they actually have this S-looking seat that you can sleep in, got the TV set and all that stuff, and it's a very private seat. You can lay down in it. Hmm. Like and they got this year's award for the best interior. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, folks... Thanks so much for uh, the seat story. Learned a lot tonight. And uh, on Thursday, the Reaper Radio Hour, the short story Born to Fly by Captain Dick Borelli was read, and and his writing of that short story pretty much expresses the Eastern family's thoughts of our company and our work relationship with Eastern. And I've decided to play it again for those that haven't heard it, and uh, I think you'll really like it. And uh, that's a feeling that um, I have, and Dick expressed the feeling of so many folks with Eastern. Here's that. It's it's not very long, but here is Born to Fly by Captain Dick Borelli. Born to Fly by Captain Dick Borelli. Once upon a time, a boy wanted to fly. He graduated from high school, then enlisted in the Marine Corps. Eventually, he qualified for the NAVCAD program in Pensacola and became a Marine pilot. When he discharged, he became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, there was a boy who wanted to fly. He attended college for two years and became a NAVCAD. He was commissioned in the Navy and became a carrier pilot. When he discharged, he became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, there was a boy who wanted to fly 
After graduating from college, he was commissioned and became an Air Force pilot. When he discharged, he became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, a girl wanted to fly. After high school, she entered the Army Warrant Officer Program and became an Army pilot. After she discharged, she became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, a girl wanted to fly. She graduated from high school, attended Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and received her degree and the required pilot's licenses. After a short time as a flight instructor and a couple of years as a commuter pilot, she became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, a boy wanted to fly. During high school and after graduation, he worked at the local airport in exchange for flying lessons. After getting his pilot's license, he became a crop duster, building his hours as he got more qualifications. He flew light plane charters and anything else he could to build his time and experience. And eventually, he became an Eastern pilot. Once upon a time, a girl wanted to fly. She was intelligent, beautiful, but had no desire to be a pilot. She loved flying and wanted to be part of it. She lived in a small town and wanted to explore the world. She related well to people, learned quickly, was adventurous, and eventually she became an Eastern flight attendant. Once upon a time, a boy wanted to fly. He had no desire to become a pilot, but loved travel and adventure. His people's skills were outstanding. He was friendly and outgoing and became an Eastern flight attendant. Where did we come from? How did we get here? What inspired us to make the sky our domain? When did any of us look at the uh, up the first time and see an airplane and say, that's what I want to do, that's where I belong? The journeys that eventually placed us all in an Eastern airplane began in a variety of places, and the paths that led us here were different, but the results were the same. We were Eastern Airlines crew members. From Dick Merrill and Gene Brown flying mail over the mountains at night in open cockpit biplanes, the B-17 pilots in combat over Europe, the F-86 pilots in Korea, and the F-4 pilots in Vietnam, the crop dusters, instructors, and commuter pilots from all over the country had the same dream. The sky was in their blood and we united in the brotherhood of the air. We grew to know and appreciate each other as we learned to love the family that had adopted us, the Eastern family. Eastern Airlines still exist in our memories, in our minds, in our hearts, in our conversations, in our reunions, in our emails, in our souvenirs, in our pictures, and mostly in our enduring friendship. So long as one of us draws a breath, Eastern will never die. Remember, we were the pioneers of the modern age of aviation. We transitioned from props to jets, from flight at 10,000 feet to flight at 40,000 feet, from dead reckoning to GPS, from eyeball weather 
and from round gauges to ephus. We have seen and introduced the marvels of design and technology. Larger, faster airplanes carrying hundreds and hundreds of people over longer and longer distances, faster and faster and higher and higher. We have seen the near total erosion of the captain's authority and the dumbing down of cabin service, once so elegant and demanding that our crews were so justifiably proud. We have seen the reduction of cabin service to the point where flying is no more special than riding a bus, narrow seats with no leg room, no service, and inadequate, often dirty laboratories. When was the last time you got a meal or a magazine in flight or a pillow or a blanket or a complimentary drink because of flight delay? There is no longer communication between the cabin and the cockpit. Dispatch now controls the aircraft. There is no longer a pilot in command since no one in the cockpit has the authority to make a decision without approval from the ground. Remember? Remember who we were? Remember what we did? Remember the challenges we faced and the battles we fought? Think back to those nights when we penetrated fronts without the benefit of radar, when we could fly VFR, choose our own route and fuel and alternate. Think back to when the decision to go or not to go was solely at the discretion of the captain. Hence the title, pilot in command. Remember when a crew flew together for an entire month and everyone knew everyone else. Remember when we were all friends. Remember when there was no animosity between the cabin and the cockpit because we were a crew, friends. We knew each other's names and we supported each other no matter what. Remember when the entire crew went out to dinner on the layover. Remember. Remember who we were and what we did because, ladies and gentlemen, there will never be anyone like us again. Eastern Airlines exists today in our memories and our hearts, but Eastern will live until the last memory dies. So remember, 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 remember. Amen. That's Dick's story. Uh, yeah, comments? Home run. Beautiful. Can you hear me? Beautiful, beautiful. Got you now, Don. <laughs> we got you, yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, it, there are so many stories that uh, are written, uh, and, and this just kind of leaped out at me because it was in the book that I took most of the information I did have some email and stories sent to me in the book, uh, The Wings of Many. By the way, Colleen, I've got one I want to send to you. Do you have uh, that book, Wings of Many? No. No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm since you are one of our sponsors now, and and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, your donation, and so we'll get that in the mail to you 
just as soon as I can get to the post office. But you'll you'll find that story. You'll find that story and many others. And uh, we take uh, a lot of the stories out of the best of repartee of 30-year collection of stories by the uh, pilots of Eastern, the early male pilots, all the way up to the time that we uh, flew no more. And the book, The Wings of Many. So um, that was a great uh, story, and I'm I'm glad we uh, aired it tonight. Let's see. Mark Porter, you still with us? Let's see if I can. Yeah, Mark, are you still with us? There's some interesting news about Eastern. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, just a bit. Um, let's see, I'll first start out with there's a great quote by the CEO. He said, You can't steer a ship that ain't moving. And that's really uh, correct. Eastern has eight aircraft, and they're operating two of the aircraft to uh, Guyana and to Ecuador. And since the COVID uh, epidemic, both those flights and the international flights have stopped. So now the CEO has turned his attention to domestic flights because, hence the quote, you've got to keep the ship moving or the downtime is too bad. So he's turned his attention to his first destination, which will be Thomas Kennedy, and it will go to San Diego, California, three times a week. And the only bad thing about that are his flight times. Um, it's rather exciting to go to San Diego because that sets him up for Mexico. But his flights leave at 11 o'clock from John F. Kennedy, arriving around 1 o'clock into San Diego, and they leave at 6.20 in the morning from San Diego to John F. Kennedy. So hopefully they correct the flight time. Um, just today, Avianca Airlines of Columbia filed for Chapter 11. American Airlines announced no 767 and 757s to go to the skies again. United Airlines announced that they will retire all of their 767-400. United is to lay off 7,000 pilots. American Airlines, 2,000. Um, Eastern, actually, um, it's pretty good. Um, they'll be operating one flight now, and then it seems that Houston will be next. So they will be operating two aircraft again, and financially, they're sitting pretty strong. And with all the aircraft being retired, I would think Eastern would have their pick as the best. But the San Diego route, um, they probably have a lot of cargo for that as well. Um, seven, six, seven, and the wide bodies on long haul are the better way to do it because you can pull out seats and charge more and carry cargo. The narrow bodies, I don't know how they're going to do it. Okay, thanks so much. Have you flown into San Diego? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we have that experience. Matter of fact, talking about uh, San Diego on the 757, you know, you land, Mm -hmm. I forgot the runway number. Uh, Maybe Jim or Mike, you can help me. Uh, It's coming in over the hotel. Uh, You almost roll the the wheels. When the the gear's down, you almost roll the wheels across the rooftop. Exactly. And and then there's there's the airport and the runway. 
And uh, <laughs> that airplane, and I flew several trips in there. That airplane was mm-hmm. so quiet. You recall that at 10 o'clock, there's a curfew, and no aircraft could depart San Diego after 10 o'clock. And Eastern, we'd bring the airplane in and get there and offload, and, and then we did, wouldn't take any passengers because we were going to L.A., and uh, we would sometimes be over that 10 o'clock curfew. But because that airplane was so quiet and it had so much power and the pilots could almost pull up on a steep climb, um, you know, uh, the hell with the angle of attack. That airplane was so powerful without anything on it. But, uh, yeah, a great airplane, and I have no clue as to why Boeing decide, decided not to keep it. You're, you're breaking up, uh, yeah, Mark. You're breaking up badly. Not only it was the phone, but it was a beautiful airplane. Beautiful airplane. It, it was. Absolutely. Yeah, Boeing's coming out with a, a modern 757. A modern yeah. Your own question, they Neil. They're not going to call it the Max, but it's a 757 Plus. Oh. Okay, I haven't read that. I haven't seen that or heard it. Yeah, but uh, that's yeah. good what news. Did he say? What, did, what did he say? What's, what's the name of it, Mark? Uh, 757? They call it the 7, 757 Plus and the 767 Plus. Plus. Seven but five seven plus. Time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're staying away from the match. <laughs> no <Yeah>. MCAS system. <laughs> no. No. They don't want to name it Max for sure. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things that took them down was the fact that they got rid of that airplane. It was absolutely. Oh yeah. Uh, number one in just about every capacity. Everybody loved to fly it, even the passengers, even though it was a narrow-bodied airplane. The passengers loved the airplane. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a wider body, uh, Mark? No, it's going to be I can't, we can't hear you, Mark. No, we can't hear you. I don't know what's wrong with your phone, but uh, uh What's yeah, the passenger we load between the two airplanes? That would made a difference, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just going to change the metal and the engine. That's about it. Same, and same body, same fuselage. Same fuselage, everything. The 737 uh, Max. Boeing never wanted to design that one. They wanted to have a short, fat um, 737. With like two, yeah. two, two seating, and that actually would be perfect with the crisis going on now. Yeah. Uh, but American pushed it into the 737 Max. Um, my understanding is that they are going back to the fatter 737. Yeah. Well, the 757 had the 727-200 fuselage with 20 feet extra, and. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why the fuselage, when it was designed and tested, it passed the pressurization test because it was uh, basically a 727, except it was stretched. 
Right. And uh, right. of course, with, with with the big engines, uh, we had forty thousand pounds of thrust per engine. I think it was forty thousand. They made those fuselage skins too thin up around the nose gear. You've had a bunch of them that have been uh, that got wrinkled up on uh, uh, when they land and put the nose gear down too hard. You, Eastern had one themselves. One of the one of their airplanes was damaged that way, as a whole bunch of other ones did. Mm-hmm. The seven five seven. Yeah. So yeah. how do they accommodate that? Well, they're going to have to beef it up. Is what they do. Of course, they uh, yeah. it has a, a a tendency to be a a light landing airplane from the uh, from the people that I know that have flown them. I have no experience myself on one, but uh, uh, if you if you if you, the nose wheel comes down too hard, uh, you end up with big wrinkles all the way around the fuselage. And one of them, uh, I think, it got scrapped. Uh, Eastern had wow. one that they rebuilt and that uh, got sold to the Mexican uh, Mexican government or something. You know, Mike, when we first got the 727, Boeing says you got to land it this way. You got to fly it onto the runway, push the nose down, and eventually all the pilots said, "To hell with this, we flare the airplane." And I always flew the airplane the Slim Cox method. And the Slim Cox method was wear it like a bow tie, son. Wear it like a bow tie. With the yoke. Yeah, well, he he was the one that tore the he was the one that tore the pressure bulkhead out of a 1011. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, re- he retired at age 58, I think, because of that. Yeah. That was but, so uh, young, huh? Every airplane you can you can land uh, by flaring it. And um, the 757 was no exception. It was a wonderful landing airplane. Of course, it had the trucks with the rear gear or the rear tire, the set of four, um, was downsloped the rear, uh, upsloped the front tires. And the 767, if you recall, had it just the opposite. The front set sloped forward and the back set sloped upward. It never made yeah. sense to me, but it worked. It worked. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Eastern got of course, I didn't fly either one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Two. Well, you would have changed enough tires. <laughs> okay. Dorothy, what do we have coming up? Well, let's start first with uh, thanks to... Um, the major sponsor, Retired Eastern Pilots Association, REPA, for the generous donation to us this year to keep us on the air. Uh, Neil has dedicated our Thursday afternoon show to the REPA magazine, the repartee into his uh, book, along with Engel, uh, who um, is now, who he is, has readings from the repartee every single Thursday, so be sure to join us at 3 p.m. PM. <clears throat> we too want to thank Colleen D. Feliz for her generous $100 donation to our EAL radio show and have posted Colleen's name up on our EAL radio show website under Silver Falcons. Uh, you're joined there by another person, so any member who contributes to our program, we have listed there as well either under the gold, silver, or the falcon contribute 
contributors as our sponsor. Members can find this on our home page under the Home tab, Sponsor. Remember, donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a signed copy of Neil's popular Eastern Book of Memories, Wings of Many, free with your donation. So please consider making a donation, as remember, it's the donations and sponsors that keeps the radio show on the air. We feel our program is well-known, providing and offering the Eastern Family news and information as the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. You can send your correspondence and donations made out to the EAL Radio Show to Captain Neil Holland at EAL Radio Show 9776 San Jose Boulevard, Suite 12B in Jacksonville, Florida, 32257. We have our upcoming show on Thursday, as I mentioned, and we have following that uh, the episode 458 of Eastern Music Movie Theme Songs of the 60s. Again, we have every Thursday, as I mentioned, Neil's Rebus show. And following that, we have Who Was the Aviation Patent Holder? So we have several very excellent shows coming up, so be sure to stay tuned on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Back to you, Neil. Eastern 457, you're clear to land.
headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Great show, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, good show. Good night, all. Good night, everybody.